This podcast is made possible by Adam Audio, German-engineered studio monitors for every studio size, shape, and budget. Hear what you've been missing. Learn more at adam-audio.com. Hey, it's Larry Crane. Welcome to the Tape Op Podcast. days of 2020, following a canceled tour and a near-total mental collapse, Beirut's Zach Condon arrived in Hodsel, an island in the far northwest reaches of Norway. Armed with several suitcases stuffed with recording equipment, a modular synth rig, an Austrian tape machine, his trumpet, and some winter clothes, he embarked on the creation of what would become his latest release, Hodsel. He also had ongoing access to a 19th century church pump organ, a centerpiece of the album's sound and spirit. Jeff Stanfield caught up with Zach from his home in Berlin to discuss the making of Hodsel and the journey that led there. Enjoy. Are you originally from Berlin? No, I'm originally from New Mexico. Um, I was born in Albuquerque and raised in Santa Fe mostly. But now Berlin is home base and has been for a while, right? Yeah. Yeah, I've been here for six years. And what prompted that move? I don't know. I don't really have the best logical story about it, really. It's... I had a lot of friends here and, and I knew some musicians and people working out here and um, New York was driving me absolutely insane and, and I needed a change and I kind of, you know, I'm pretty Eurocentric in my interests in a lot of ways anyway and this is pretty central for that and it seemed like a good kind of step down from the stress of New York, for example. So it's not like super planned out Um but yeah, it certainly had its benefits, and I'm happy I did. Yeah, where you are has such a huge impact on the creative process. You know, whether you're in a city destination studio or, in, in the case of your new record, Hodsel. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. That was actually closer to how the Norwegians say it. They say it kind of Hodsel, or like almost like, yeah, I mean, that was pretty good, so. Uh, this new album has such a great story behind it and it seems to be a furtherance of your journey to Berlin and beyond I mean I know the story but I'd love for you to tell it in your own voice and more about the idea of setting and how it frames what you're working on right right yeah I've had a fair amount of time to kind of sit and analyze what the hell that's all about I mean, I've even got the kind of added thing with the band name and all the song titles that I always do. And for years, I was just following instinct, you know, like, oh, that's that's just what sounds and feels right and so on. And But I think over the years, I finally kind of, I've realized a little bit better where it comes from and why I do it. Um, yeah. Which I'm happy to try and explain. Yeah, I'd love that. Uh, when I was up in Norway, I... I was trying to find the right music for the place uh, just to listen to, you know, when I wasn't working. 
And I was listening to kind of old jazz records and stuff and thinking, yeah, you know, but maybe I'm a little tired of that right now. And I, I kind of dove back into old country music, which is something that I haven't listened to very much in general, but especially not since I was a kid, because when I was young, my parents were really obsessed with the real classic country stuff. And um, we used to take these road trips all over the U.S. and it was just the five of us in a van and they they love to really you know we would drive through memphis and they'd play all these memphis songs and we would drive through oklahoma and be all these oklahoma songs and so on and you know there was a song for every place and and i didn't really think about that when i started my band so but i had already i was doing these albums and in lieu of kind of coming up with new titles for songs i was literally just staring at maps and pointing and saying oh yeah okay so this song is called brandenburg this song is called so on um and it was my brother that suggested beirut actually because he knew i was kind of obsessed with that place in a weird way um but I, i never really thought about it it just was something that instinctually happened so in hindsight it's like i go back to being a kid in in the van and we're hearing these kind of location song names and stuff and just the kind of the mystery and the story that those city names put in your head on their own was kind of enough to kind of launch this whole idea and i always really loved that about it so so that was kind of where it came from and then and then the the place names I chose, they were often just areas of interest as far as storytelling. Because that's really what happened with my head, is it's just like I see these city names and then all these stories start to present themselves and these images and these atmospheres. And, um, you know, I used to obsess over when you go to a when you go shopping at some clothing store and it's like high end or something, often they'll have, you know, the bags that you take out of the store and it'll say like London, Paris, Tokyo, Sao Paulo. And you just, it, for me, that was like poetry, like shooting off all these little stories and ideas in my head. And so I always obsessed about that. And then after a while, it even became almost a bit tongue in cheek, you know, cause I was kind of just playing to my, my own kind of obsessions at that point. So, yeah, that's that's the best I've been able to come up with why that's that's there, you know. It rings true for me as well. Places have their own set of stories and vibe. Yeah, vibe, atmosphere. Like I said, there's something, even, even Berlin itself, one of the big reasons I came here. When I was 19, I came here for the first time, and I came in February, and it was dark, and it was cold, and it just felt heavy. And I took this walking tour where we're walking through you know, Mitte, which is the center of town. And they're kind of going, hey, this is where Hitler's bunker was. And it's just this like empty parking lot in, in, in between these. And, you know, back then it was like, you could still see the bullet holes in the buildings and they'd be like, and this is where the Soviets came and this is where this happened. And this is where the wall stood and this has all been bombed out. And it just, that atmosphere was so intense that I came back and I wrote almost the entire first album just about Berlin because it was like I couldn't get these images out of my head. And I remember thinking, what an intense place to live with that history and with uh, with that kind of architecture and atmosphere with the weather and all that stuff. And, you know, it's changed a lot since then, but um, it's still there. And that fascination is still there, too. So, yeah. I mean, with that in mind, you, you decided that you were going to go to Norway, a decision that was entwined with, you know, where you were personally with your mental health. 
and that rolled into the pandemic, which of course has its own influence. That's right. Yeah, I left. I I left basically January first, twenty twenty, and I I came back home to Berlin on March fourth or fifth or something like that, and within the week, uh, the lockdown started. So when when we were up in Norway, we were hearing some kind of whispers and rumors of these of you know something going on in China, and and uh, didn't think much of it. And then it was really strange to come back from a type of isolation into another type of isolation, you know. Can we back up a little and talk about how you ended up on a remote island in northwest Norway? I mean, my daughter spent some time there on a sheep farm outside of Bergen, so I'm somewhat familiar with the look of the place through her pictures and stories. But when I looked at the map, I was like, whoa, that's way up there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I do. I like to show people on the map because it's like, okay, you you know Oslo, you know Bergen. Now let's start scrolling up, and then it's like you just keep scrolling, you know, and that's and that's, then people get kind of surprised, like, oh, that far up. Oh, I see. I mean, we weren't up, we weren't up at the tippy top, but we how did far. you find the place, and what was the impetus to land there? So, I mean, finding it isn't, it's not the most interesting backstory there. It's simply that um, my girlfriend, she's from Berlin originally, but she she speaks fluent Swedish. She like taught herself. And at some point she was up there with the Swedish family, went to the Lofoten Islands in the summer. And um, it really intrigued her. And, and so she was telling me about this place. And we we just saw a few photos of it in winter and immediately knew that that was the place. Um, We didn't end up going to Lofoten because of the kind of mass tourism problems that they have, and uh, they're they're a bit overrun at times, and I didn't really want to be part of that, and I didn't really feel like it would feel all that personal or something. And so, you know, I looked looked for something a little further north, actually. But um, the main point of being there for me was... To me, the most warm and comfortable escape I could think of was somewhere in kind of extreme winter and darkness. And I I don't know why. I guess that's the opposite for for most people. I think when they think of a relaxing vacation, they think of, you know, sunlight and the beach, I guess. And that just was never the case for me. Um, I think ever since I was a pretty young kid, I, I got this kind of reverse thing going on where where the daytime to me kind of represented all the kind of mundane stress and chaos and kind of the bureaucratic work of life goes on during the day and there's something that's kind of flat and depressing to me about noon for example I always feel like it's just this kind of it's noon to me is the equivalent of walking into like hospital lighting you know like there's just something so unmysterious and dead about it to me and I've always felt that way. And then and I've always more associated night with this kind of calm, quiet, introspective, peaceful time where you can really focus on something and the noise of life is kind of away. And, you know, even just with my family as a kid, you know, it's like during the day, I just felt like they were always just about to boil over with stress. And then at night, it was like I could have them near me and I could have them quiet and calm. And so there was that kind of comfort in that, you know. So I've always been attracted to that. And I even wrote, you know, a couple of my records I wrote upstate New York, just kind of in a cabin in the snow, really, really enjoying that 
uh, feeling of shelter and warmth of the fireplace and stuff. So for me, 2019 being such a chaotic year, and I can tell you about that, I was really looking for a place to escape from everything, and that seemed perfect. And one funny thing I would say is I was, I've been trying to get my band to go up north with me for years, and they've always just told me that that's a terrible idea that we're all just going to get cabin fever and get on each other's throats and just kind of go crazy. So they've turned down. I've in the past, I've been like Northern Maine in winter, Iceland in winter. And every time they're like, no, no, no. That's, you know, that's why the last record was done in Italy, for example, because I pitched Iceland, they pitched Italy. So, yeah. You just hinted at it, but tell us about 2019. So I've always had a very tough time with tour. Um, my first tour in 2006, I think it was, ended with me having, you know, pretty much a, a psychic break from reality. It, it really did not go well. And I spent six months recovering from that back in New Mexico with my parents. And it was so bad that we, we didn't know if I would leave the house again on my own, you know, but eventually with enough kind of medicine and stuff, I got out again. Um, but the same thing was kind of happening in 2019. This is something I've been fighting off for years. And, you know, a lot of the ways I got through tour was basically through drinking. And I think many musicians can relate to that, you know. Uh, just the kind of the whiplash effect of tour of being on stage. So there's like this buildup of stress and adrenaline all day. And then you have this kind of peak of this adrenaline battle-like situation. And then it just crashes every night. And then the kind of sleep, you know, sleep deprivation and constant new stimuli. You're always in cities that you don't know. You're always somewhere new. And the mind just kind of caves in on itself if you don't have something to kind of blanket all that intensity. And I had actually quit drinking in, let me think, was it? Yeah, 2018. And I remember thinking, okay, now I've solved everything. Now I can just breeze through this it's all just going to land in my lap because you know i've 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 climbed the mountain and that ended up just being the opposite of true because it was like the moment i kind of stepped foot on a tour bus i remember the trouble started and and the whole tour i was just kind of fighting all these anxieties and feelings of doom and kind of what happened was I just kept getting really, really sick. I was getting these lung infections and chest infections and because of that throat infections. And I spent uh, most of the time on antibiotics and steroids and, and just kind of soldiered through. But eventually it was, it got to the point where my voice was failing me. And by the third tour of that year, I had canceled all these shows and it, it just occurred to me that I couldn't do it again. I couldn't put myself through another kind of course of these medicines and and I couldn't really put myself through that anymore so so I canceled it I I, I canceled everything uh, we had we had South America we had Mexico booked and I I just kind of you know I was like sitting in a doctor's office in Madrid and he was kind of shaking his head going you can sing if you want but you might damage it forever if you do that um, it just kind of occurred to me I've never been cut out for this and it's never going to get better, you know? Yeah. Touring and playing shows is often so different than creating and recording. 
And to your point on the drinking, when you when you stop drinking, there you may think that all the problems are solved, but you're probably drinking to cover up a bunch of issues that are now exposed and raw, and you no longer have a salve for them. I mean, as temporary as the alcohol is, so you know now you got to really deal with all the stuff. I can't tell you how many musician and artist friends I know that have uh, been through the exact same thing. Well, I think I think addiction and, and creativity kind of go hand in hand because I, I can speak for many when I say this, that it's like music for me wasn't some hobby or passion of mine. It was an obsession. It was like a full-on addiction of its own. And from the age of 15, when I got my first four-track and started working, it was like, say goodbye to the friends, say goodbye to going to school on time. Like everything in my life disappeared. Any normal, healthy, balanced individual would have said, hey, hey, this is starting to take away from my social time. This is starting to take away from my grades. And they would have said, I need to slow down. I need to, you know, think about this. But I think for most of us in this position, it's like, no, let's go a little deeper, you know? So... That's, you know, that's my understanding of it. And I do, I think that the people who make the music that means the most to us, I think they were kind of called to do it in that way that it's like they couldn't put it down, you know, and and I can relate. So, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting hearing you say that and about the process of making Hotzel. And the record is so hopeful sounding. It's what I describe as, you know, quiet joy. It's not the... It's not some over-the-top polyphonic spree yeah. rainbows record. I mean, there's just a there's a quiet sadness, yeah. but there's hope there as well. Yeah, I appreciate subdued emotions. I think in 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 others, in character, and also in music and art. You know, there's something to be said for the restraint or something. That's funny that you say that because to me, I feel like. I feel, I feel like the album is almost naive in that way. And I, I like that about it. But to be honest, I was still so fresh in my kind of, you know, journey with that stuff with, I mean, not just with sobriety, but just like figuring out what the hell was going on underneath the hood. Um, that I, I think I was still in this state where I, I would literally ask people who were in similar situations that I had met, like how many years until you get your brain back, you know? Like thinking they would be like, yeah, well, definitely around two or three years. And then you, and then everything kind of returns to normal. Thinking to myself, there's, right? And it's so simplistic. And, and actually there's songs on there that I, I specifically remember. That was back when I used to think that, yeah, it's like you wake up one day and you're just better. You just walk out, you just get out of bed and it's like the sun shines a little brighter for you or something. So... Yeah, there is that. Yeah, I don't know if that's ever true. No, I don't think so. I think that's quite naive, you know. And I had to learn that the hard way in in some ways because um, there's a lot of wishful thinking and a lot of kind of magical thinking uh, back then and still to this day. But it's like I'm I'm coming to terms with it piece by piece. You know, half the story of me getting to Norway in the first place is a lot of magical thinking. A lot of like, oh, the equipment will just follow me somehow. Some Someone is just going to magically come out of the weeds and be like, here, I own a shipping company and I'm going to take your equipment up to northern Norway for you. And in, in the end, what happened was 
I just stuffed five suitcases full of like modular synthesizers, microphones, and a tape machine. And it was excruciating to carry through an airport and it was stressful as hell. And I paid thousands of dollars in overweight baggage fees, you know? Just because the whole time I'm like, yeah, this is just going to work. It's going to be great. And I remember my girlfriend the whole time being like, shouldn't you look into that? Should you look into overweight baggages? Should you look into shipping? Should you look at it? And the whole time I'm sitting there going, no, no, I'll just, you know, it's going to be great. It's like, this is how my brain works. And, and it really was this very like sobering moment when it came time to go. Well, let's be honest. If you're going to pursue a career in music, you need to have what you call magical thinking. You know, it's the gnarliest of them all. It's it's not possible without eternal hope. <laughs> yeah. You know, sometimes you just have to ignore stark yeah. reality, and uh, and uh, I guess I yeah, it did work out. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll tell you something funny that that made me think of my entire like I knew from when I was fourteen and fifteen when I started making music that that was all I ever wanted to do because it was a full on addiction the moment it started my my first song that was enough and I I was that was it that's all I ever wanted to do uh, I never told anyone that I didn't tell my brothers I didn't tell my parents because I just thought they would laugh at me if they heard me say that so yeah absolutely. What was your setup and the logistics involved to make this happen? So I had the the main part of the luggage that I brought with me for equipment was actually this modular synth rig that I have. Um, I had set these up. I mean, you can see it behind me, but um, it's pretty much everything you see there. But I had set it up in these two portable cases and I'm kind of kicking myself for not remembering the, the guy who built them right now, but um, he, didn't, he did a good job. They ended up being 17 kilos each. I don't know what that is in pounds, but um, I'm really glad I did that. I mean, at the time I was getting lost in modular synth stuff, and I knew that that's what I needed was to just get lost in this stuff. So I brought that with me. I brought this kind of old Austrian tape machine with me, the Nagra Krudelski because I thought, I, I had known before I went that I would have access to a church organ. I didn't know how much access, but they had mentioned, the, the people I was renting the cabin from, that I would probably have access to, a, to an organ. So I got these two Sennheiser microphones that my friend uh, Francesco Donadello had recommended for me, because he records a lot of, um, like he's done a lot of recordings with like Stars of the Lid and and he also works with a lot of symphonic bands with Johan Johansson and and um, so I asked him what would you use in a church basically um, then I brought what else I guess I brought my my interface the big UA kind of Apollo interface and just a ton of mic cable and I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I think those were those those two Sennheiser mics were the only ones. But I would have to go and look at their case to see what they are. So And you had a laptop? I did laptop, yeah. I what I wanted the tape machine for was for I, I wanted the sound of the organ to hit tape before it hit the computer, basically. Um I've always had a decent experience with trying things that way. But mostly, yeah, just multi tracking on that on uh, my computer. Any issues with power? No, up there they're they're pretty solid. They it's it's not it's not so rough in that way. You you weren't riding a bike to generate power. No, <laughs> no, certainly no solar power up there. But 
Yeah. I mean, you found yeah. some solitude there, but other than your affinity for dark places, what made you think it was going to be a good idea, especially with your mental state, to go be alone in a cabin far from home, especially your home in New Mexico? Right, yeah. No, my parents definitely... I remember the look on their face when... I mean, they knew I wasn't doing great at the time. I'm sure they thought I was making an even bigger mistake, kind of heading out somewhere like that. Um, but, you know, in some ways, the, the I had planned this trip up there before the tours were over as a way of rewarding myself for getting through them. Um, I didn't know that I'd be canceling them, and I didn't know that I'd be bringing so much recording equipment, for example. But... I just thought, in my kind of weird, dazed state, it, it, it occurred to me that being out in nature would be enough to kind of heal. Because being in Berlin, even even though it's nowhere near as bad as New York, for example, it still wears and tears on you. It's like just going through the metro system and so on is, is an exhausting and overstimulating experience every time. And So I just thought, again, you have to remember, take this with the kind of with in, in back of your mind, remember that a lot of this was magical thinking. Um, but I thought, yeah, the peace and quiet of a cabin, uh, sheltered against the harsh snow, uh, with a fireplace was a really good place to unwind. And I think in some ways I unwound too much because it, it was really quite like, especially in full polar night, you kind of, you lose track of time, you lose track of space and you kind of go into this, I imagine that's what the astronauts on ISS would feel like if they didn't have a lot of tasks to do every day. Uh, you do, you start to drift and you start to go deeper than you want to. And um, you can really obsess on certain thoughts and ideas. So I found myself having to create a pretty strong work schedule to kind of snap out of it. But that was the thinking behind it, basically. Were there neighbors nearby? I mean, did you have any sort of community? So in some ways, I thought it would be like northern Greenland or something, but it, that's not the case over there. It's definitely rural, and it's definitely, I mean, the biggest town nearby was only five minutes away, but it's only 2,000 people, so pretty small. But um, but no, it's actually, where I was was this little hamlet with, let me think, four or five other houses nearby. Like within, you know, you look out your window and you see them right there, and uh I didn't think so at the time, but we actually ended up becoming really close friends with a lot of them. Um, a lot of them are much older in their seventies usually, and, um, their kids have left and most of them have moved to Bergen and places like that. And, uh, my girlfriend just charmed them, just completely and utterly charmed them. She was inviting them over for tea and cake and, and beef, you know, by the time we left, we had made really, really close friends with a lot of them, and we were, uh, they were bringing fish cakes over for us to eat, and, and, you know, people around town were starting to recognize us, and we, we got so close that we are, we, we bought a place up there, we bought a little cabin, and we spent this last year, for example, we spent six months there already, and we had to leave because of our, you know, the visas run out, um, but no, surprisingly, I ended up kind of meeting a community there, which I didn't think was going to happen. Yeah, two months that time. Mm -hmm.
Yeah. It was a real... Yeah, what I did up there was chaotic. It was really touch and go. Uh, it was quite messy. And because I was quite new with these modular synthesizers, for example, a lot of it was really kind of muddy and kind of runaway frequencies in every direction, both low and high, and, and things that I had trouble containing. And so I didn't bother when I was there. I just kept going and going and not really thinking about it. I didn't even have proper stereos to, uh, like, like monitors to mix on, for example. I was, I was actually mostly in headphones. Um, I eventually bought some, but... Uh, just to kind of reference so that I knew if things were really out of place, uh, for example. But um, I took it all back, and it was because of kind of COVID times that I ended up immediately back in the studio when I was here. Um, and so I was kind of combing through a lot of what felt to me more like sketches than finished songs. And out of that, I started to kind of sculpt it here in Berlin into a more yeah, into more of a formula, you know, songs with beginnings and ends and stuff, instead of just these 15-minute long kind of drum loops on the modular, for example, and long organ drones that were over nothing, for for another example, yeah. So for the first half of this project, you gathered material up mm. there in Norway. I mean, what was the second half of this process like back in Berlin? Well, it was interesting. I don't know if I've ever quite done that before. My way of recording... St like the way I write songs is very much a product of how I wrote songs, meaning I was always alone and I was always multi-tracking. You know, I've seen people use loop pedals and I've gone, oh, that's pretty much what I've been doing my whole life, you know? But so back in the day, I would just play a, a piano part for three minutes and then just stop and then go over that. I didn't even have song changes most of the time. And, and in some ways I've spent my whole career being like, wait till someone finds that out, you know, then I'm going to be exposed but you know like I could never figure out how to put a B part on a song um, I imagine maybe it's a little easier when you're writing in a group or something but nonetheless um, so this was this was a little different this time because I didn't I really went up there in my head I'm like I'm not making an album I'm just exploring and that was the first time I've ever done that so it's the equivalent of like a one-man jam session for lack of a better term you know and yeah combing through it was really interesting because it's like you kind of just arbitrarily place ends on it and then you start doing other things over it to see uh if you hit the markers correctly or not but um yeah you can see with most of my songs they're they're almost like pyramid shaped or something it's like things just stack up and then they kind of stack back down um and I've, I've kind of become okay with that over time, whereas I used to see that really as kind of flawed logic or something. Yeah, that's so cool. And that's exactly what we were talking about at the beginning of our conversation uh, with the significance of surroundings. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't mean this disparagingly, but I think the average non-creator uh, music listener right. probably doesn't think that music has such a strong visual component but for so many people, it is. I mean, it certainly is for me. Um, but when you said that, I thought, of course, it's such a right. beautiful way to look at it. Right, right, yeah. It's funny because to me, the image that always comes to mind is mesas. Like in New Mexico, we have the mountains with the flat tops. That's how I picture the songs. And then they just, they just plateaus, and then it just cuts back off at the end. <laughs> 
I mean, when you say that, the first thing I think of is kraut rock. You know, it's linear, not a lot of chord changes, if any. It has a dynamic shape right, that right. happens. And I thought, well, that makes that makes sense. You know, he's been living in Berlin. For me, it's almost visual by default because it's purely physical and, and instinctual. And, and so when you don't have words to describe it, it kind of defaults to visual images in your head when it's not there, you know, in order to recreate music in your head, I have to use images personally. I can't use words and I can't use literal just recreations of sounds or something. So yeah, it becomes more visual. And I think the traveling for me was always about that because unfortunately I have the kind of mind where if I'm in a routine, I start to just kind of collapse in on myself and my circle becomes like smaller and smaller and tighter and tighter. And then I become kind of rigid and unmoving and I can't, I'm no longer flexible enough to create anything new. And that happens in my life in general. Like when I'm not, when I, you know, back in the day when I wasn't on tour and I wasn't in the studio, I would sit on the couch and I would just sit there the entire day and just like everything would kind of get smaller around me. So, and then I would get into these ruts and I would get these horrible writer's block and nothing was interesting and nothing was inspiring. And I, I just wanted to kind of zone out and escape at all times, unfortunately. So I think the traveling for the kind of location hopping in order to make music actually came from this desire just to wake myself back up and just to be excited about the world again at all. Because when you put yourself, I mean, imagine, yeah, like in Norway, scenery so beautiful, you can hardly process it. And any kind of jaded, hardened facade that you've developed for whatever reasons, they just drop completely and you're like a little kid again and everything is exciting and everything is new. And it's like a C chord in Berlin that sounded pretty boring to me suddenly sounds fascinating and full of possibilities up in the dark in Norway, you know? And, and that's why I would go to these places because it's like a way to snap out of routines, a way to... To, to be excited about the little things again. Um, so, yeah, because it's like sometimes I worry that I must look like I'm trying to write a travel blog or something. And it's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm trying to snap myself out of it so I can make something new again, you know? I was curious which tracks really feel to you like they captured the moment of what you were living while creating it. You know what's weird? I always feel like I have a processing delay I feel like I'll be somewhere, and then six months later, it'll hit me how it actually felt up there. Um, so in this case, that was, that was also true. Some of the songs I wrote up there were in a very different state than when I came back, and I was here in this studio here in this kind of attic room in East Berlin, um, chipping away at the record, and two songs that I wrote much later were Süddeutsches Tonbild Studio, and then the last track on the record, which is Regulatory, and I think that the two of them, ironically, written here, captured what it felt like to be there extremely well. Um, there's the second half of that first song, Süddeutsches Tonbild Studio, was this kind of modular improvisation I did where I had set up an arpeggiator on full chords and was just kind of triggering them with chords. And I just got lost in it for like 15 minutes and I shortened it for the song. But, um, and then the rain was coming down on the attic windows, so I liked, I added that in there. And I remember that feeling of peace and kind of 
there's some physical feeling that I can't really describe, but I'll try, which is the feeling of like from your head to space, just like this endless expanse and drifting in that direction slowly and peacefully. And, and that really has come to mean a lot to me that I kind of captured that section of the song and, and, and I'm happy that I decided to not really add anything else to it, but leave it as is. And then the last song really captured a lot because it felt like it was like finally me and the pump organ had become one somehow. Like the, the phrasing on that song, the way the chords fall and there's the constant note held at the top, something about that felt right. And, and when I think of that song, I think of like physical movement as if the organ was, was an extension of me somehow. And then the melody is just this, the big part of the melody is just this long extended note on the trumpet over and over again. And I remember thinking it was such a neat melody where it was like all the fat had been kind of taken off and it was just left very streamlined and to the point. And it was like, how, 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 little move, how much can you express and how little movement or something like that? So in the end, even with a kind of goofy drum machine under it, I remember thinking, yeah, this is almost like a kind of distilled melody of, of my sense of melody and how that works and how it's kind of unique in its own way. And I really liked that about it. Well, it's been great to chat. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Find us online at tapeop.com, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time. <laughs>